from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, everybody. I'm Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. It's a great pleasure to be with you, as always, on the weekends. So let's do a little setting of the table. First of all, you can get this show live streaming on the Internet. LarryCudlowShow.com, LarryCudlowShow.com. Very easy. We have a big following on the, on the net. You can hear us all across the world, throughout the country, and the solar system, and the Milky Way. You can hear us all through the Milky Way. All right. The other point I want to make is during the week, please join us, Business News, FBN. The name of the show is Cudlow. And it's 4 to 5 p.m. every day, 4 to 5 p.m. every day. And if you can't make us at 4, why, then you can just uh, text your favorite 9-year-old and she will show you how to DVR the show. It's real simple. Or you could even get us on a rerun at 7. We're rerunning at 7. Fox Business News. It's a lot of fun. So I want to say a couple of things at the top here about the about the um, indictment of Donald Trump, former President Donald Trump. We'll talk about it over the course of the show in bits and pieces. We're also going to talk about Adam Smith, the father of capitalism. We're also going to talk about the stock market. We'll have some money in politics. We'll review some polls. It's going to be great fun. But look, I just want to give you my view. You may agree with me or disagree with me, and I respect those that disagree with me. But I want to tell you, putting aside all the legalities of this uh, indictment of Donald Trump, putting aside all the legalities, what's going on here is very simple. Okay, Joe Biden wants to put Donald Trump in jail as soon as possible, So Biden will not have to run against the former president in the election November 2024. That is my view. Very simple. Biden wants Trump in jail as soon as possible. I think this is insane. Never before have we seen anything like this in American history. It is a level of corruption that is beyond belief. It is, in fact, the politicalization and weaponization of the American justice system for presidential goals. And, you know, go back to the midterm elections. I think it was the night of November 9th or some such. And Biden basically said that he would use every means at his disposal to prevent Trump from becoming president. He said that. Go back and look it up. It's in print. It's on tape. You can read it. You can hear it. Whatever. And that is exactly what Biden has done by using his corrupt Justice Department, Attorney General Merrick Garland, who then found this left-wing prosecutor, Jack Smith, who's lost all the cases he's ever tried, whose wife is a big uh, Obama. What did she do? She made a film about Obama. 
Uh, they're using uh, the most absurd espionage act. I don't know. I mean, we'll talk about that with uh, Greg Jarrett in a little while. Great, uh, great lawyer. But the fact of the matter is, this should have been a negotiation between the National Archives and President Trump, the Presidential Review Act, which is a civil matter, not criminal, is the uh, principal law behind all of this. Presidents can do what they want, classify, declassify, dispose of the documents as they see fit. The Bill Clinton, the famous Bill Clinton sock case where there were tapes, classified tapes, squirreled away in his sock drawer at home. It was brought to court. The judge, who was an Obama appointee, ruled in favor of Clinton and said the uh, president has all the authority in these matters. The Espionage Act is the most absurd thing. Going back to Woodrow Wilson in 1917, they jailed a couple thousand people. Wilson also used it against his political enemies. Uh, it has never been used since, ever, ever. That's how phony this case is. So I, I, I just want to say the politics behind this much more important than legalities. And, you know, I want to make another point. In recent months, I've heard lots of people, smart people, not so smart people, say, well, Donald Trump might win the Republican nomination, but he's the easiest guy Biden can beat. So the Democrats love this, seeing Trump ahead in the polls. Now, polls aren't votes, I get that, but the point is he's way ahead in the polls. Well, I don't believe that for one minute. Donald Trump is a great fighter. He is a fabulous fighter. It is his fightingness that the Democrats fear the most. And if, in fact, it were true that Joe Biden would love to run against Donald Trump, then I ask you, why did he say election night, midterm election night, that he would do anything he can to prevent Trump from running and becoming president? And why is he acting to put Trump in jail? I mean, all these charges, <laughs> 400 years. It is because Trump is the candidate Biden and the Democrats fear the most. Trump is the guy who will stop their socialist economic policies. Trump is the guy who will stop all of their cancel culture, crazy, woke policies in schools and education, in companies and elsewhere. Most importantly... Trump is the guy, having served once, now knowing where the bodies are buried, Trump is the guy who will clean out the corrupt stables in Washington, D.C. swamp. He will clean out the Justice Department. He will clean out the FBI. He will clean out the CIA. He will clean out the federal bureaucracy where so-called career civil servants who have been there for years and have moved further and further left are running this country. And in fact, that's going to be a big election issue. Kim Strassel's piece about arresting the federal government in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. We had Kim on the show last night. Take a look at it if you have a chance. But it is exactly correct. Trump and Penn, and all these guys, Trump and DeSantis and Pence, are all talking about cleaning the stages. 
Destables, Vivek Ramaswamy. We're all talking about stopping these career civil servants. But it has to go the, it has to go into the CIA, which has become corrupted. It has to go into the FBI, which has become corrupt. In fact, the FBI's corruption with respect to the alleged Burisma bribery charges, which are closing in on Biden, is remarkable. I mean, you has to be clean the stables act. That is what Biden and the Democrats fear. Trump will stop socialism. Trump will stop woke. Trump will clean out the corrupt swamp in Washington, D.C. That is what this is all about, in my judgment. Again, folks listening, I'm glad you're listening. If you disagree with me, I still hope you'll continue to listen. Because we're going to make a lot of points today and other matters, free market capitalism, state of the economy, what should be done to get people earning money again instead of losing real wages and so forth and so on. We'll get to all that. We'll get to the stock market later on. But I just want to make this very clear right at the top. That's my view. I'm not a lawyer. Heavens no. All I can say is Biden wants to throw Trump in jail. They won't have to run against him. Incidentally, there's a poll out just recently. I mean, today. I think it's today. I have it someplace. The Harvard-Harris poll, very good poll, run by uh, Mark Penn, who's a Democratic pollster, but Mark is a friend of mine. He's a real smart guy. Uh, shows Trump with a very significant lead <clears throat> against Joe Biden. Nationwide poll. I'll find it in a minute. So that's, um, I'm going to begin there and just make these statements. And I believe uh, they'll never get Trump. They'll never get him. This thing's going to last for a long time. He will be proven innocent. It will not be decided until the election in November of 2024. But it is a disgrace. It is an absolute disgrace what Joe Biden is attempting to do. And by the by, the guy who is going to be nailed for corruption charges is not Donald Trump. It is going to be Joe Biden as this Biden... Burisma bribery scandal, $5 million for him and his son. The, the noose is closing around Biden on a daily basis as uh, James Comer's doing a terrific job, Chuck Grass is doing a terrific job, Jim Jordan's doing a terrific job. We will talk about Burisma later in the show. I want to take a quick break and welcome you all. The other side of the break, uh, we're going to talk about Adam Smith's birthday. Who's Adam Smith? He is the father and founder of free market capitalism, which is the greatest solution to poverty and unemployment. Uh, yesterday was his birthday, 300 years ago. So long ago, not even I was around for that. But we'll talk about that in a minute. I'm Kudlow. Take a break right here. Please, folks, we'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. With crime running rampant in New York, you need to keep yourself and your family safe. Obtaining your concealed carry firearm licenses can be difficult and time-consuming. That's where MyFirstPistol.com comes in. They'll help you secure your concealed carry license. If you're looking for a pistol, premise, rifle, or shotgun license, call 347-559-7052. 347-559-7052. You must have a valid firearm license issued by the NYPD to purchase, possess, or shoot a handgun or pistol in NYPD. Now, back to the Larry Gudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. 
Mike Dudlow still here. Happy birthday, Adam Smith. How about that? Please, mark this date in your calendar. Actually, it's yesterday. June 16th. Get this, June 16th, 1723. So that was 300 years ago. From Glasgow, Scotland, Adam Smith. Who is Adam Smith? Adam Smith was the founder of free market capitalism. Probably one of the most important figures in history. He believed in free markets. He believed in free trade. And he devoted himself to showing how his system of capitalism and economic freedom benefited the poor, solving poverty and unemployment and spreading happiness throughout society. He taught moral philosophy at, uh, at uh, I don't know, St. Andrews. I'm not sure which college it was. Anyway, in uh, Edinburgh. And um, he wrote two famous books, The Theory of Moral Sentiments, 1759, and the most famous book, An Inquiry into the Nature and Causes of the Wealth of Nations. And he wrote that in 1776. What happened in 1776? Well, we had the Declaration of Independence. And incidentally, Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, two of the key authors of the Declaration of Independence, uh, were friends of Adam Smith corresponded with Adam Smith. I think Franklin met Smith a couple times in London, but I'm not 100% sure about that. But they thought Adam Smith was a rock star. And Adam Smith's economic theories of free market capitalism uh, were the backbone of the Declaration of Independence. You can read that thing. You can see Smith's footprints all over it, all over it. And the spread of capitalism, this is interesting. I mean, he was such a profound influence on economics because, um, you know, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Smith, there was no capitalism. There was no private property. There were no private businesses. There was poverty everywhere. But uh, we've seen this response of Adam Smith's capitalism in the last 40 years. Just give you some numbers on this. According to the World Bank, people living in absolute poverty, which is defined as earning less than $2 a day, all right, people living in absolute poverty made up 42.7% of the world's population in 1980. Now, by the year 2000, The spread of capitalism led to a decline in absolute poverty down to 27.8%. And today, absolute poverty is less than 9%. And the guy, one guy who helped spread a renaissance of free market capitalism was my former boss, Ronald Reagan. Okay? 
and uh, the spread of capitalism all over the world, even China, okay, in its best moments, particularly the reforms in the late 70s and 80s led by uh, Deng Xiaoping, even China moved to open up free markets and some private property, although this guy now, President Xi Jinping, has been moving against that. But even China has seen tremendous improvements. Good story in yesterday's Wall Street Journal by historian Rainer Zittelman, Adam Smith's Solution to Poverty. You should take a look at it. And again, you know, Smith was not really concerned about rich people. He was concerned about poor people. And I will cite the late Jack Kemp, the late great Jack Kemp, who's a dear friend and mentor of mine, a great Reagan supporter, former congressman, former vice presidential candidate, former uh, cabinet secretary. Jack used to always say, the trick is to make the non-rich rich. And that was Smith's vision, to lift people out of poverty. And Smith was totally opposed to redistribution by the state, totally opposed to redistribution by the state. He was totally opposed to statism. He believed in markets. And he also also believed, and this is from the theory of moral sentiments, his first book, that people should behave themselves personally in their lives and certainly in business and in markets. They should be ethical and moral and that that would make the system work. He was a churchman, and he believed people had a responsibility to act ethically and morally in their everyday behavior and in their market transactions. Now, here's my key point. Smith believed capitalism created growth and spread prosperity. A rising tide would lift all boats. We haven't had this. I mean, we've been growing under 2% for 25 years. We used to grow uh, for 50 years from World War II to the year 2000. We grew at 3.5%. And the point I want to make here, and we're going to talk to the great, great Steve Forbes about this in just a moment on the other side of the break. We have got to get back to long-run growth of 3.5%. We've been growing under Biden, by the way, barely 1% in the last uh, year and a half. Barely 1%. And that's why there's a rebellion against Biden. That's why his polls are so low. That's why his economic performance is polling at about 25, 28, 30 percent. Really pathetic. We should be growing at 4, 5, 6 percent in the next 10 years. And then 3.5 percent after that, we have to go uh, move away from these socialist big government policies of taxing and regulating and overspending and inflation and a weak dollar, we've got to get away from that. We've got to get back to the policies that Ronald Reagan started and that for a brief period of time, Donald Trump continued on lower taxes and deregulation. We've got to grow this economy. We've got to help people get out of poverty. We've got to help the blue-collar middle class and the lower middle classes. We've got to spread wealth. We've got to get the rising tide to lift all boats back here in America. And that will not only make people wealthier, it'll make them happier as well. That's why Adam Smith's birthday is so important. I'm going to take a quick break. I'm Kudlow, the great Steve Forbes, on the other side of the break. Please stay with us.
from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. Great to be with you. We bring in my dear friend Steve Forbes, chairman and editor-in-chief of Forbes Media and author of the book Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Steve, welcome. Thank you for doing this. Appreciate it. Hello. Yes. There you go. Can you hear me? I got you, buddy. So, Steve, I was celebrating uh, Adam Smith's birthday, <laughs> which was maybe yesterday. He was baptized on June 16th. Uh, right. 1723. No one's quite sure when he was born, <laughs> but we'll call it about that. <clears throat> but the point is, uh, he was the uh, progenitor of free market capitalism. Uh, he corresponded with the founding fathers, Jefferson, Franklin, perhaps others. Uh, his whole point was to use economic freedom, free markets, free trade to promote prosperity, particularly to solve poverty. And uh, nowadays, we have slumped in our long-term growth rates, and we need to follow the dictates of Adam Smith. What's your thinking about this? Uh, well, the key thing, uh, Larry, is, you know, we've got an election coming up next year, and that's going to be a watershed election because it's going to determine are we going to revive, rediscover, and revive the principles of Adam Smith that enabled billions of people to have better lives and better opportunities and constantly improving standards of living? Or are we going to go to modern socialism, which is stagnation? Government determines what commercial activities are permissible, and we'll have a revival, deadly revival, of the kind of lockdown control of individuals that we had during COVID-19, where they conjure up a crisis, whether it's a, a environment or something else, and put more and more controls. You see it with washing machines, air conditioners, gas stoves, and the like. Every aspect of, their life, of our lives they want to control. So uh, the Adam Smith election is coming up next year. Mm-hmm. And you cited the statistics earlier. When Adam Smith uh, wrote what he wrote in 1776 when it was published, uh, over 90% of the world was in dire poverty, $2 a day in today's money. Not money back then, but today's money as a, a, a Rainer pointed out in that article yesterday, 20% of the people uh, couldn't even, were so malnutrition that they were beggars, they could barely move. And today, over uh, under 10% of the world is in dire poverty, huge uh, strides ahead. And by the way, one thing, in the 1800s when Adam Smith's principles actually really reached their peak, that century saw the greatest increase in wealth and standard of living in human history. At the time, at the same time, the population was booming, zooming. But since the Great Depression, we've been gradually going backwards. Got to turn it around next year. I like that, by the way, the Adam Smith election. I may adopt that. That's very good, the Adam (laughs) Smith election. And, you know, you and I were talking uh, about Dan Hanninger's column, uh, State Capitalism, which is really, you know, modern-day socialism through the regulatory state. That's the uh, phrase that you coined. And we have to be aware of just how much our growth rate has been slumping in the last 25 years here in the USA. I mean, that's you, you look at uh, Steve. You look at these um, long-term projections of the Federal Reserve, for example, uh, or the Congressional Budget Office. You know, official government uh, operations, and they all show long-run 1.8 percent. Uh, by the by, God, uh, Biden's uh, economy in the last 15 months 
uh, slightly less than 1%. I mean, we, we should be pushing growth in the next 10 years at 4, 5, 6%, it seems. Oh, absolutely. And uh, you take uh, household uh, median income today, which is uh, roughly 70000 If we'd maintain normal growth rates, actually since the 1970s, that number today would be $110,000, $115,000. We've lost because of these disastrous policies, all designed ostensibly to help us. For their typical families, those forty to $50,000 of income. And so that's the scandal. And the thing is, we the, the what's so terrible is is people don't know what they missed they don't know the great prosperity we could have had and we're on our path to european style growth rates which is stagnation uh 1% maybe they get it up to 2 but uh, that goes against america and we should be back to 3 and a half 4% of however you want to measure it even more with all the great technologies and all the big things that are going to be happening on healthcare Enormous big things, positive things are happening there. Imagine being able to get a new heart, a new kidney, uh, like you're changing a tire uh, because mm. of artificial work that is being done. Mm. And so uh, we're, we're going to lose all of that if they uh, crush uh, research and development, as they will if the government takes over the healthcare industry, well, which yeah, is on its see, way to doing. Yeah, on its way to doing. That's right. I mean, you see that uh, Biden boasts about his uh, price controls. Uh, for pharmaceutical companies and drugs, it's exactly the wrong policy. It will it'll stifle the kind of breakthroughs that you're talking about. And those guys and want price way, controls in a lot of areas. Yes, and by the way, the only reason these other uh, health care systems run around the world is because we, in effect, subsidize most of the new medical devices, most of the new medications in the world. Uh, you can invent something in England or somewhere else, but if you don't commercialize it here, it just doesn't happen, doesn't get the real mass that it needs. So uh, without, if the U.S. goes the way of Europe, all drug, almost all drug uh, development will be a fraction of what it is today, medical devices. We are subsidizing the rest of the world in new medicines. That's why a system like England can go along, uh, government-controlled, is because we provide the innovation that their system on its own would be incapable of doing. What do you think about... Um this latest breakthrough with AI, artificial intelligence. I, I'm reading, all these people are fearful of it. It's going to destroy jobs. I mean, I'm not an expert in AI. I know a little bit about it, uh, quantum, uh, quantum computing going along with it. But it seems to me these technological breakthroughs, sort of Schumpeterian gales of creative destruction, very much, uh, you know, Adam Smithian free market inventions and innovations, we hit, historically, you get these breakthroughs, and they create massive new amounts of wealth and jobs. I don't know. I mean, why are people so afraid of AI? Well, maybe one uh, one is the the name artificial intelligence. Our friend Mark Mills said, uh, "What a terrible name!" You know, we don't call airplanes artificial birds or cars artificial horses. <laughs> And, and and so for, for first the name, so you get sort of this Frankenstein thing of, you know, uh, take, taking over the world. But you have to remember, we create these things, and yes, they can be misused, but they're great tools. And one of the things I think is going to happen in the next decade or so is with AI, the time it takes to develop a new drug, which is now years and years and testing and billions of dollars, is going to be done in a matter of months and a fraction of the cost today. So AI has the promise of getting rid of a lot of the drudge of working life 
and uh, getting a real, real value-added work. I mean, who would have thought uh, 20 years ago grandma could operate a supercomputer? That's mm. what handhelds are all about. Mm. <laughs> You're absolutely right. What should we be doing now? If We call this the Adam Smith election. We need a new economic agenda. We need to sort of go uh, the next steps from what Ronald Reagan did 40 years ago. Reagan unlocked capitalism again. What should we be doing now, Steve? Uh, urging the candidates to adopt these uh, pro-growth policies and do so in the way of the framework like an Adam Smith election so they realize the importance of this. This is not just about reducing tax rates or simplifying the tax code or stabilizing the dollar. It's all part of a vision of uh, making, uh, getting America moving ahead. Mm. And uh, uh, it, it, it's, it's, it's all there. And so we got to provide the framework. This is why it's important, and this is why when uh, uh, some of the candidates come up against the Fed, we should applaud it as part of the grand new strategy to uh, 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 faith. You know, Calvin Coolidge once wrote a book, a set of speeches in Massachusetts called Have Faith in Massachusetts. We want to have faith in America again mm. by our own people and by the world's people. And so this is an Adam Smith election. So when we talk to candidates, uh, we should say this is why particular policies have to be part of an overall puzzle, so to speak, for overall strategy to get this country to fulfill the promise that began in 1776 with the Declaration and with Adam Smith. I mean, I think the word growth has to be emphasized over and over and over again. And I think that voters want this. I mean, we've seen this decline in real wages for the last couple of years, and we've seen the stagnation in the economy in, in uh, the last, actually, it's, it's the last several decades with a brief interruption uh, in Trump's uh, term, but it, it wasn't sustained, and obviously Biden has these socialist tendencies. I mean, I think the word growth, G-R-O-W-T-H, is really important, and I think the second word, prosperity, is also yes. very important. And, and Steve, I think the third word is that the first two lead to happiness, this is not a happy country because it's not growing and it's not as prosperous as it normally is. And uh, when you have that kind of environment, you get more social tensions. Uh, uh, people tr- trust each other less when you have unstable money and the like, and people don't believe there's a future, that the only way to get ahead is by taking from somebody else. This is why what Biden is doing is so bad, or the people around him, is the idea that you can only get ahead economically is, is with permission of the government. Being, uh, being part of the government. I don't even want to call it a government uh, state social uh, capitalism because I like capitalism. It's socialism. You hit it. It is state socialism, and that's what they're driving us towards. You can't do anything without permission from bureaucrats who think they know better and who will live better than the rest of us at our expense. Did you see this story? <laughs> Biden was up here in Connecticut, and he gave a speech about gun control, of course. But he ended the speech by saying, God save the Queen. Did you see that? At least he didn't say George the <laughs> Third. The Queen is no longer. The, the Queen is deceased, but that's Britain. This is the United States. Yeah. I, I mean, hey, I can understand. He forgot Connecticut was one of the original colonies. <laughs> I mean, I can see, you know, God bless America, okay, but God save the Queen. I don't know where that came from. 
Well, that's All why right. I don't think he's going to be the candidate in 2024. I don't yeah. know how it's going to unfold, but this you, is this is becoming <laughs> intolerable. You've been saying that, and I, I I still I think you're going to be right. I think that the others are going to throw their hat in the ring, and he's not. I mean, it's a very interesting story. All right, let's take a quick break, folks. We are talking to the great Steve Forbes. He's the chairman and editor-in-chief of Forbes Media. And incidentally, his book, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It, is so terribly important today. We're going to talk about inflation and the Federal Reserve. Let's take a quick break. We'll come back with Steve Forbes. I'm Kudlow. Stay with us, please. Larry Kudlow on 77 WABC. It's a continuing failure of Bidenomics. High inflation, tax hikes, and virtual recession. As you thinking about diversifying your portfolio with gold or silver, I suggest calling my friends at Swiss America, the trusted leader in precious metals for 40 years. Plus, silver is in high demand for military, solar, electric cars, and tech. And they want to help you get started by offering a beautiful U.S. silver walk-in Liberty half dollars at the amazingly low price of $13.50 each delivered, limit 250 per customer, while supplies last. To reserve your silver coins, call or just text 800-254-5904 or visit SwissAmerica.com slash Larry. That's Silver Walking Liberty Half Dollars for just thirteen fifty each delivered to your door while supplies last. Help protect your assets today. Mention Larry when you call or text 800-254-5904 or visit SwissAmerica.com slash Larry. I'm not human. Hoaxes and other fake news stories. Tomorrow morning at 10. We should get people to ask questions. It's Uncovering the Truth with Rudy Giuliani and Dr. Maria Ryan. Using common sense thinking with New York Street Smarts. The mayor of New York City, Rudy Giuliani. Tomorrow morning at 10. It's Uncovering the Truth. I call it interactive radio. Talk Radio 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. Listen to us. Give us a try. Sail into summer in New Jersey, where sea breezes drift along iconic sunny shores, stroll boardwalks, or soar high on the rides. Take time out to breathe in the great outdoors. Treat yourself, shop, dine, dive into history, the arts, and culture. From dazzling winning cities to charming towns in the countryside. Find it all at visitnj.org. Imagine getting your favorite D'Agostino Supermarkets products without ever leaving your home. Order online via Instacart, Uber, or DoorDash and enjoy home delivery across New York City. So please, Mr. D'Agostino, move closer to me. The 77 WABC online store. Attention WABC shoppers. Get the other side of Midnight Magnets. And get the Curtis Lewa Magnets. Some would say the magnets are very attractive. And the music radio specials on us. Everybody's going wild for the new leopard print Cousin Brucey merchandise. Always look ready to dance to the music with Vinnie Madunio hats, hoodies, and t-shirts. So many WABC items. You'll want to go, go, go. To WABCRadioStore.com. The power of information. The freedom to talk about it. With New York Attitude. Talk Radio 77 WABC.
from Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're here with the great Steve Forbes, chairman and editor-in-chief of Forbes Media and uh, author of the recent book, Inflation, What It Is, Why It's Bad, and How to Fix It. Steve Forbes, uh, after screwing everything up a couple years ago, has the Fed fixed inflation yet? <laughs> well, inflation, as you know, is coming down, but for the wrong reasons, because of uh, depressed economic activity. Mm-hmm. And uh, as we've discussed before, the only way they know how to fight inflation is by depressing the economy. The real way to do it, inflation is re- reducing the value of your currency, in this case the dollar, usually by creating too many of them. And uh, so stabilize the dollar, and the inflation will go away. The economy will work things through. But uh, I just really gagged the other day when Jerome Powell was talking about this sector of the economy shows uh, higher, more vigorous wages, and we're worried about that. That part of the economy may not be doing. What is he doing micromanaging the economy? This is the U.S., not the Soviet Union or Beijing now, uh, dominating an economy from above. Leave it alone, but he won't. So I was glad they uh, put off another interest rate, artificial increasing the price of money, renting money. I just wish they would say the economy is not in good shape. We're going to let it heal. You know, this is the Fed as central planner. I yes. don't think people realize that. And they view themselves as central planners, you know, and, and, and influencing, if not controlling, all these economic sectors uh, by manipulating interest rates and their balance sheet. I mean, as I said to you in the show, we need a special prosecutor to investigate the Fed. I mean, we really, we really do. Now, you could say politely, more politely, Steve, we need a monetary commission, which is probably a good thing for these candidates to push. You know, I was reading um, our friend John Tamney has a piece up on Real Clear Markets, and it's interesting. It's something you have said uh Since Nixon went off the gold standard, gold being the key reference point for the value of the dollar, since 1971, uh, our productivity rates have plunged. Uh, And they were very strong in that post-war period, but they have plunged since 1971. Now, you have written about this, and you've got stuff on this in your book uh, on inflation. So what do you make of that? Well, it's, it's absolutely true. And one of the things that's uh, not uh, been examined is why since the early 1970s have, have growth rates uh, have been so subpar of what they were in the 50s and 60s. Even after we exceeded pre-war levels of production and Europe did the same and Japan did the same, we were booming. And then uh, when we undid the gold standard, and you know, people have so many misconceptions about it, especially economists. You don't use gold coins. All it is is that it has a stable value, gold, perfect, not perfect, but the best we have in the world. So all it means the dollar has a stable value. It doesn't, doesn't affect the money supply. If you have a booming economy, it can boom. We point out in the book between 1775 and 1900, when we went from poor agricultural nation to the mightiest industrial nation in the world, the world gold supply went up about threefold. The U.S. money supply went up 160-fold, but the dollar was fixed to gold. Gold has a dollar had a fixed measure of value, like 60 minutes an hour per clock. So uh, when you have these floating rates, it means you get less productive investment in the future because you don't know what you're going to get paid back in. And when anyone asks me, should I invest in gold? I know we have a problem. 
Uh, gold should be an insurance policy, not an investment, uh, but it shows the government's mucking up. How did we get Bitcoin? That was a high-tech cry for help. Hmm. <laughs> yes. Actually, Bitcoin's done rather well recently. Um, so what's your outlook for the economy now? What's going to happen in the next year or two, you think? I think it's going to be uh, sluggish. I think there are going to be surprises proverbial black swans mm. uh, because the Fed doesn't know what it's doing. Uh, you have a lot of companies that uh, thought that uh, interest rates would remain zero forever. It was like the 1970s when uh, people thought inflation was going to be 10% forever. You had an adjustment period in the 80s when inflation was conquered, when your assumption of 10% rising prices went out the window. So even though the economy is doing very well, agriculture was in a depression for a while, Energy was in a depression for a while. Lots of commercial real estate went in a depression for a while. But the overall economy did well, and that's what we don't have today because we don't have policies that are encouraging growth that will enable us to pull out of the rut that we're in today with uh, minimal disruptions, and those that are disrupted uh, have other avenues to uh, in which to prosper, and they recover more quickly. Are you surprised that the stock market's having a comeback at the moment? I am. And uh, I always, we always tell ourselves the market is anticipating the future. Hmm. And it may be with an Adam Smith election coming up. It may be with what's happening in red states. Uh, thanks to the American federal system, we have economic policies that are diametrically opposed on the state level. We see what is happening in New York versus Florida or Illinois versus, uh, versus Texas. We see the once great state of California uh, going uh, uh, so surprised the governor's done everything wrong, thinks that qualifies him to be president, maybe <laughs> among far leftists it does. Mm-hmm. But uh, but uh, you can see the difference, and you see people moving. It's a big thing to pull up roots and, and, and make a move, but millions of people are doing it. So the market may be anticipating that, and maybe they're uh, keeping the fingers crossed that the Fed will stop misbehaving and at least uh, uh, go to the old medical admonition, don't harm the patient. <laughs> you know, it, it's, you can cut your own taxes by moving. And yes. maybe this is going to be a red state election because so many of these red states have cut taxes. It's really remarkable. Even while Joe Biden is raising taxes and, you know, promoting more tax hikes, uh, the red states everywhere, I mean, you just see it almost every day, some state is cutting marginal tax rates. And you also see it in education. Uh, one of the things that came out of the pandemic was the parents could see firsthand what was actually happening in the schools instead of anecdotal evidence and uh, not really seeing it firsthand. They saw it firsthand. So a number of states now have enacted education savings accounts, which puts control of the money in the hands of parents, not bureaucrats. Talk about Adam Smith liberation. You choose the school. You direct where those funds go. Mm. And I think you're going to see more and more of it. Blue states will go for uh, the unions, wrecking schools, harming opportunity for uh, people, where your uh, prosperity is determined by your zip code you're born in, or you go to the red states doing these education savings accounts where kids can actually get a good education again, and one kid in a family may go to one school, another may go to another school that fits uh, his or her needs, a little blossom. Yeah, school choice is, is catching on everywhere. You know, I don't know why the candidates, the Republican candidates, don't talk more about this, about the red state revolution. And I, I, I wonder, the stock market, which sometimes is a good barometer of the future health of the country, you know, it may be that we, this will be a red state election. This will be an Adam Smith election. And that, that could be like a hidden 
invisible theme right now because usually people are very surprised. Anyway, Steve Forbes, thank you for helping us on a Saturday. We appreciate it very, very much. Thank you, Larry. Keep up the good work. I love the Adam Smith election. I love the Adam Smith election. Folks, we're going to take a break. Other side of the break, uh, legal analyst, Fox News legal analyst, Greg Jarrett will join us. We're going to talk about the Burisma bribery scandal and a little bit about the stupidness of the Trump indictments. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Bring in my pal Greg Jarrett, who's Fox News legal analyst, New York Times bestselling author. His latest book, Trial of the Century. It's a great book. Scopes Monkey Trial, Clarence Darrow, William Jennings Bryan. A good picture of um, early 20th century politics. Greg, uh, welcome back. Thanks for this. Thanks for being on the TV last night. Really oh, appreciate it. Very I, much. I enjoyed it very much. Yeah, I'm sorry for my outburst, uh, my non-legal outburst, but I, I really do believe Biden wants to throw Trump in jail so he doesn't have to run against him. But oh, I I'm agree looking at wholeheartedly. You know, this is this is Biden prosecuting his political opponent. It's outrageous. Yeah, yeah, that's the way I see it. You know, um, your points on the Presidential Records Act versus the Espionage Act and the violation of the attorney-client privilege. And also there's this other thing, uh, lawyer Stanley Woodward, they promised him a judgeship. Uh, This is uh, all incredible stuff. But, you know, uh, the guy from Judicial Watch, Michael Bakesha, agrees with you, Mike Davis of the Article 3 Project. And I don't know if you saw uh, Will Scharf just wrote a long piece. He's a former federal prosecutor, he uh, helped on the confirmations for Brett Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett, and he's run for Missouri Attorney General. They all agree with you. Uh, I want to get to the Burisma thing, but just quickly on the Trump indictment, Greg, can you quickly summarize for our audience uh, how you see this story playing? Well, I think the defense team, once it's fully uh, composed, they're going to level a bunch of pretrial motions, mm. one of them based on the Presidential Records Act, another based on selective prosecution, another based on a lawless warrant, overly broad warrant mm. uh, on Mar-a-Lago last August. They're also going to make a, a, a motion to uh, exclude and suppress the testimony of uh, Trump's lawyer Evan Corcoran, Uh, who was forced to testify before the grand jury. This was an erroneous decision by a Washington judge uh, who said, you know, uh, we can pierce the the attorney-client privilege uh, here. It's wrongful. It doesn't apply to the trial court in, uh, in Florida. And then, you know, if you knock out some of the underlying charges, then that gets rid of, I think, uh, on a pretrial motion, obstruction of justice charges, because you you can't, uh, you know, be guilty uh, of obstruction.
conducting a non-crime. There's no motivation to do it. If you honestly and genuinely believe that these uh, documents are yours, you're allowed to keep them, um, then then you haven't obstructed anything. That requires a corrupt purpose, uh, what the Supreme Court calls immoral, depraved, and evil intent. Hmm. Honesty or an honest belief, even if it's mistaken, doesn't rise to the level of obstruction. And then you got the thorny problem of jurors. I mean, you know, they, they don't have security clearance to see the classified evidence, hmm. and they must be shown that classified evidence. So what do you do? I mean, I think the only thing you can do is to declassify the documents. So then you've got uh, the former president of the United States accused of having classified documents that have since been declassified. Uh, If that sounds absurd, um, it is. Hmm. How long? This can go on for a while. It can, because many of these motions uh, are so critical to the trial that they have to be ironed out in advance. Um, And either side can appeal uh, because these are uh, petitions and arguments that are called interlocutory. Well, that takes time. You've got to go to the 11th Circuit. There have to be arguments, uh, oral and written then it has to be considered, then you can appeal to the Supreme Court. So, you know, I know Jack Smith, the special counsel, has been wishing for a speedy trial. I I find that to be a bit of a pipe dream. I mean, was it Trump said if you put all the charges together, he'd be in jail for 400 years? Uh, I mean, it isn't conceivable to me that they actually would put a former president in jail. I mean, I just, it's just inconceivable to me. It's nothing well, like and that I think has the ever public, happened. The public backlash uh, yeah. is going to be severe yeah. over wow. that. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, imagine a, a president who serves for four years, he has the ultimate classification authority. Uh, that doesn't just get switched off on January 20th when he leaves office. And, you know, former presidents get classified, top-secret briefings mm. all the time after they've left office. Mm. Um, and that's important. So they they can help, if asked, uh, advise the incumbent president. So, you know, to somehow criminalize this, uh, even though I think the prevailing statute is a civil statute, the Presidential Records Act, uh, you know, to me is just the most egregious overreach I've ever seen. Yeah, it's totally political. Um, Greg, let's talk quickly about the Burisma bribery thing. We learned last week that the um, source, the whistleblower's source, uh, has said there these 17 tapes, telephone tapes, uh, where the basically it is alleged and assumed it's the CEO of Burisma uh, speaking twice to Vice President Biden, and then I guess speaking 15 times to uh, Hunter Biden. Uh, and the, at stake here was the alleged uh, $5 million uh, get, uh, bribery, b- bribe to the president and $5 million to Hunter. Now, I mean, if, if these tapes are permitted to be played, it's going to cause an unbelievable uproar, but it's also 
going to um, indict Joe Biden, won't it? Oh, it absolutely will. The question is, do the audio recordings exist? Who has them right now? Right. Apparently, uh, according to this confidential human source, um, they rest in the hands of this top Burisma executive. And, and remember, this human source is a long-serving, trusted, impeccable record of getting things right, so much so that the FBI paid him uh, $200,000, perhaps more. So this is not just some guy who walked in off the street. Um, he's a reliable uh, source. And, you know, it was credible enough that they put it in writing. The FBI did. And if the audio recordings actually exist, uh, you know, Joe and Hunter Biden discussing bribes in exchange for a foreign policy decision, that's not just a, a, a bevy of crimes, Larry. It's an impeachable offense. Mm. Remember what impeachment is, treason, mm. bribery, mm. high crimes and misdemeanor. Well, what, what I find so alarming is the FBI has been trying to hide this. First, they said there's... They wouldn't acknowledge there was this 1023 form memorializing it. And, and then they, under pressure, finally coughed it up. But they redacted the portion of the tapes. Why? This is an unclassified document. Uh, Congress is entitled to see it. Indeed, the American public is entitled to see it. And yet they've redacted the most critical part of it that has nothing to do Mm. Uh, with making sure the confidential human source's name is not disclosed. No, this is about the tapes. So the question is, Senator Grassley posed it, what, if anything, has the Department of Justice and the FBI done to investigate? In a hearing this week, the deputy FBI director uh, wouldn't say. He wouldn't say anything about it. That in and of itself is highly suspicious. It will come out, Greg. You know the tapes will come out. They, they, they've Grassley, of all people, James Comer too. Comer's a, a real bulldog. But Grassley, you know, you can't take on Chuck Grassley. He has enormous stature in the Senate. And well, did those... the FBI even seek the tapes? That's, that's the question. Are they sitting in Ukraine somewhere in a vault? <laughs> Um, you know, I get the out. FBI has a lot of explaining to do, and so yeah, does the of, DOJ. A lot of explaining. You're exactly right. Anyway, Greg Jarrett, thank you. Folks, you've got to read Greg's book. I'm going to push it again. Trial of the Century. It's fascinating. Clarence Darrow versus William Jennings Bryan. Anyway, Greg Jarrett, thank you as always. Folks, quick break. On the other side, uh, famed pollster John McLaughlin. I want to talk about the latest poll that shows uh, Trump beating Biden by a sizable amount. It's the Harvard-Harris poll, very reliable. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show on 77 WABC. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to bring in John McLaughlin, my longtime pal. He's a great pollster, strategic consultant. He's the CEO of McLaughlin and Associates, along with Brother Jim. John, uh, by the way, my regards to Brother Jim. I haven't talked to him in a while. He's doing well. He's, re- he's, he's recovering from knee replacement surgery, but he's still oh. working, so he's oh doing great. Gosh. 
All right. Yeah. These are tough. John. Uh, basketball again. Okay. <laughs> uh, some news this morning. Okay. Um, actually, last night, a new Harvard Caps Harris poll. That's uh, our friend Mark Penn, who's a Democratic pollster, but I think you would agree he's quite a good one. Trump leads yeah. Biden. Trump leads Biden by six points. Right. Uh, 45% of respondents said they would vote for Trump if the election were held today, compared to 39% for Biden. Now, that's a pretty healthy lead. That's not the only poll that shows Trump beating Biden. Uh, I want to get your take on that, John. That's always been an accurate poll that tracks with us. And, and Larry, you and I, you know, with the President Trump's past campaigns, full disclosure, I'm still working for him. I saw him twice this week. And uh, uh, in the past, we were always in 2016 uh, and 2020, we were always saying we could win an electoral vote uh, on uh, battleground states. We never led in the national popular vote. Mm. And, and, and now we're leading in the national popular vote. It's not just Mark Penn's poll, which is accurate. It, it, there's a series of polls in the average that usually has us down in past elections, as is up in native two. Our last national poll at the end of May had Trump leading, and we published it on our website, McLaughlinOnline.com, had Trump leading 47-43. Now, the interesting part related to what you were talking about earlier in the show, the, the Biden corruption is getting through to the voters. We uh, we asked a, a question about, you know, if, if in the April poll, if they're aware of the Biden brag indictment of Donald Trump, and 82 percent said they were. In the May poll, we asked uh, right after uh Congressman Comer came out with the proof of the bank wires going to the Biden family from China. We mm-hmm. asked if they were aware of that, that the Bidens had got millions from China, uh, and only 55% were aware of it. The difference was, if you were aware of it, 55, in that 55%, you were voting for Donald Trump 60 to 33. Uh, if you were not right. aware, you were voting for Joe Biden 52 to 33. Huh. So Biden... No, I, I keep because I've been telling President Trump the only crime he committed is he's ahead of Biden in the polls. Mm. And that's because Biden's a horrible president. I mean, mm. he's the worst president we've ever seen. He surrendered to Afghanistan. Seventy one percent of all voters think the country's on the wrong track. He has a 57 percent disapprove. Most voters think we're in recession and they think the economy is getting worse 70 to 26. So Biden, Trump has a pro growth message. And Biden has a no growth message. Right. And uh, and so what happens now is Biden, every time something's coming up on on his family or Hunter Biden getting this money from China, he's indicting Trump. And the ironic part is Trump is going up in the polls. Although Mm -hmm. I told the president there's better ways, President Trump, there's better ways to try to go up in the polls. But he's like, every time he indicts us, we go up. And the reason is, like, we just had a poll in Iowa that the campaign uh, put out, and this is after the indictment. He's leading the field 51 to 19. DeSantis is at 19, Tim Scott 9, Mike Penn 6. DeSantis is going down. In our national poll, Trump is up at 54. And DeSantis, who was at 31 in January when Trump was only at 42, Mm. uh, I mean, Trump's at 54 and DeSantis is down to 16. 
this, Ron DeSantis has no reason to run right now because his message was, I can win and Trump can't. Well, it's wrong. Trump is ahead in the polls, and he's leading Biden. And right now when you attack Donald Trump, you may be helping Joe Biden and not helping the Republicans take him out. I mean, I've been very blunt about this. I mean, the idea that that uh, Trump is the easiest candidate to beat uh, with respect to Biden, uh, that's that's not true. Biden knows that's not no. true. That's why Biden wants to, to convict him and throw him in jail. All right. Yeah, if, exactly. If, if Biden really thought Trump was an easy win, he wouldn't be doing this. And if Trump's no. numbers were low, this would never have happened. I mean, it's all politics. We know that politicalization of the justice system. But this, John, your other point, uh, and you're an old Reagan guy like me. You're at, yeah. This is going to be a kitchen table economic election. Now, it may be a, a kitchen table economic corruption election, but I'm just saying you look at uh, the numbers on this. Um, as you say, people think we're in a recession. Uh, only about a third back Biden, I mean, put it differently, over 60% are unhappy with Biden on the economy. And that's a huge right. number. And that is not going yeah. to improve, John, because the economy, you know, we had Steve Forbes on earlier. Whether we go into an actual recession or not, we're in a stagnation period with lingering high inflation. You know, gas prices, $3.58. Uh, you know, that's about 40% higher than where Trump left him. So this is not going to change. Biden's in trouble on the economy, and that means he's in trouble, period, full stop. Right. And it's and it's like you said, Reagan had to tame inflation when he came into office. This is an inflation recession yeah. where people are not, yeah. their, their wages aren't keeping up. Yeah. And they know it because, you know, the stats may say inflation, oh, it's only 4% now. People don't believe it because they're going to buy gas and they're buying food and they're they're just their their wages are not keeping up with it at all. Yeah, twenty six so, uh, straight uh, months. Twenty six straight months decline in real average weekly earnings. That's a remarkable number. Twenty six straight months, John McLaughlin. Right, and they're looking at this and they're saying when Trump was president, they they went got up. it went up, and they had and their buying power went up, yeah, and their wages went up, and and it's a it's a really important comparison, and now you've got. Joe Biden trying to keep his family out of jail by trying to put Donald Trump in jail. And it's my I have clients in democracies in Europe, and they say to me, the ones in Central Europe, saying this is what the communists did. Mm-hmm. They would indict, they would prosecute their political opponents. Mm-hmm. And here you've got a situation where Biden is trying to cover up, because in that Iowa poll that we just did for Trump, 96% were aware the Justice Department indicted Trump. But 73% said the investigations are about trying to stop Donald Trump from running for president. Mm. Only 16% thought he committed a crime. These are mm. Iowa caucus goers. 73% believe they're unfair and unjust. Uh, yes. John, is anybody, so DeSantis has slumped quite a bit. Uh, is anybody picking the, picking the slack up from DeSantis? I mean, he, uh, I don't know, Tim Scott's out there, Mike Pence is out there. Uh Anybody rising? Well, Tim Scott did go from the end of April, our poll, he was at 1%. Now he's at 9%. Mm. So he he had a good announcement that you could see, unlike Ron DeSantis, where you just didn't know what was going on with the mm. Internet, with the, right. the the Internet space with the, uh, him. But, by the way, I want to go back to your point about 
uh, the Biden corruption. Less because than a minute. in our last national poll, when we when we told the voters that uh, the Biden uh, Penn Center got $105 million, was funneled from Hunter Biden's clients from communist China into the Biden Penn Center, where they kept those documents, mm. all of a sudden Donald Trump goes up to 49 and Biden drops to 37. Wow. So we go from a four-point lead to a 12-point lead. So <laughs> John McLaughlin. John McLaughlin, great pollster, my dear friend. Tell Jim to recover from the knee operation. Thanks, buddy. Folks, we're going to talk some more politics with uh, political consultant Roger Stone, who interviewed President Trump on WABC Radio last Sunday. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back. Wall Street to the White House. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. I'm going to bring in my friend Roger Stone, political consultant and strategist down through the years for Nixon and Reagan and Trump, best-selling author. His website is stonecoldtruth.com, stonecoldtruth.com. And he has a great new radio show on WABC Radio on Sundays from 3 to 4 p.m. Roger Stone, welcome back. Uh, now, Roger, you interviewed, I heard the interview, it was a great interview. You interviewed uh, former President Trump last Sunday. So the indictment was already out. He hadn't been arraigned yet. But I wanted to ask you, in your view, what did you take away? What were the key points you took away from that interview? Well, Larry, I was honored to uh, interview my friend of 44 years, President Donald Trump. Folks who haven't heard it can go to the WABCradio.com website and download it now. It's well worth listening to because it was a wide-ranging interview. I asked him not only about these Fugazi charges against him, but I also asked him about what he knew about UFOs as a former president, whether he would declassify all the documents regarding the John F. Kennedy assassination. Uh, But my takeaway is how incredibly strong, calm, cool, resolute, talkative. He was in a great mood. Mm. You know, I worked for Nixon, as you know, going off the gold standard, his biggest, greatest mistake. I worked for Senator Bob Dole, one of the greatest men of the 20th century. They were both very, very tough guys, but they were not nearly as tough as Donald Trump. Mm. I think, uh, you know, that's such a key point. Uh, I've written about this. Uh, uh, Trump Trump has this fightingness, I call it, fightingness. He never gives up. And I think that people admire that. People that want to clean the swamp uh, in Washington, D.C., you know, Justice Department, FBI, CIA, the federal bureaucracy, and so forth, people that want to see, a, you know, change the socialist policies of uh, Joe Biden and go back to free market capitalism and lower taxes and regulations and so forth, Roger. I, I just think people want change, and he's the guy because he is so tough and he is such a fighter. It's like an underlying theme in this. You don't see much about it, but I think that's the key. They want a fighter. Uh, he has enormous grit. Uh, he has enormous self-confidence. 
Uh, and now he has, I think, even broader knowledge. Look, I think he was a great president in his first term, but he's not a politician. He's not a political animal. He had the naive view that there were two parties, Republicans and Democrats. And then when he got to Washington, all the Republicans would rally around him the way they rallied around our last outsider president, Ronald Reagan. And unfortunately, that wasn't true. What's amazing is how much he accomplished given those handicaps, Mm. the most robust economy in American history, record job creation, record wage growth, the lowest levels of unemployment uh, among black Americans, white Americans, Hispanic Americans, young, old, urban, rural. I mean, a job boom in America, uh, cutting taxes to bring billions of dollars back into the United States to be invested here, to create jobs here, to create prosperity here. All, uh, rebuilding our military, appointing scores of conservatives to the federal courts, all with some of those around him trying to slow him down, trying to dilute his agenda, trying to derail his agenda. He already goes down as one of our greatest transformative presidents, uh, and he's going to do even better in a second term because now he really completely understands the swamp and who the bad guys are. Yeah, he knows where the bodies are buried. You're exactly right, Rod. I, I think that's really an absolutely key point. He'll know where to go. Uh, and that's why this whole left-wing uh, Washington establishment is so afraid of him. By the way, what did he say about the UFOs? Uh, you know what? He kind of finessed the question. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and, and that caused literally hundreds of people to email and text me saying, you see, he knows. He knows. That was proof that he he knows. It's amazing how many people are interested in that. That question was suggested to me by by my good friend Mancow, the Uh legendary Chicago radio talk show host. And he's right. Millions of Americans are interested in it. What did he say say about declassifying the Kennedy tapes? Uh, He he admitted that uh, the CIA talked him out of it last time. Although he did declassify thousands of documents. We learned many, many things we didn't know previously. For example, Lyndon Baines Johnson was a card-carrying member of the Ku Klux Klan. That was uh, in the possession of the FBI, uh, and that was classified for over 50 years. Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, uh, uh, his uh, tax returns were never made public because had they done so, they would have shown that he was on the payroll of the FBI. That was withheld for many years. So we learned many things, but he admitted that the Central Intelligence Agency had talked him into delaying the release of some documents because they would expose their, quote, sources and methods. Well, the sources part is ridiculous. There's nobody still alive who was involved in the Kennedy assassination. And in terms of their methods, well, if the CIA was involved in the murder of an American president, We need to know that. He pledged if he goes to the White House again, which he will, he's going to declassify everything. Roger, put your consultant's cap on now. What is Trump's best strategy? How does he play this right now? First and foremost, he needs a very smart, very tough criminal defense attorney. Uh, I, I have just generally speaking not been impressed by his legal representation uh, mm. thus far. Uh, he needs, I think, to be very aggressive in terms of moving uh, to dismiss uh, this, uh, the actions filed against him in Florida. The, they have the wrong controlling law. This all falls under the Presidential uh, Records Act, mm-hmm. and under that act he had the full authority 
to do everything he did. To say that it should be prosecuted under the Espionage Act of 1917 is a horrific reach. And now, Larry, you see a, a, a panic where Andrew Weissman, the epically corrupt prosecutor who was the de facto head of the Mueller witch hunt, now saying, oh, we need to find another venue. We need a plan B. Well, that's an admission that this is a political prosecution. So uh, the president needs to do what he is doing, which is to continue to be on offense in public. I thought his Bedminster speech after being arraigned was one of the finest speeches I've ever heard him give. Prior to that, his speech in Georgia, his stump speech at the Georgia Republican uh, gathering was extraordinarily effective. Donald Trump is a counter-puncher. That's what he does best. He needs to keep punching, but he needs first-rate legal representation because uh, the actions of these prosecutors are outrageous. What happened to the Sixth Amendment? Since when can you force uh, an American citizen's own lawyers to testify against them and turn over all documents and private correspondence? That's a violation of the Constitution that boggles the mind. Um, I thought, you know, the Bedminster speech you talked about was one of his best speeches. And what was one of the things that was great about it, Roger, so he comes back, he had been arraigned in Miami, and he flies back to Bedminster, and he gives that speech. His temperament was so even keel. It was so impressive. He just kind of laid out the case and his defense. And then also, Roger, and this pleases me no end, and I've been talking to him quite a bit, he had a great economic growth section in that speech. In fact, all of his speeches, if you look at it, he has a lot of economic substance in his speech. Going back to the CNN town hall debate, uh, with drill, baby, drill. I mean, he didn't do that in 2020 well enough, and he's really doing it well now, Roger. And I think if he does, he's just going to be uh, more and more successful. Well, uh, Larry, you're absolutely right. He's made a series of very, very compelling videos laying out his vision for the future with a major emphasis on growing the economy, creating jobs, and prosperity. One of the major things he needs to do, and I've told him this, so I'm not talking out of school, it is it is time to return to Twitter. It is time to return to the mass-based audience at Twitter. Mm. They need to see those policy videos. Right. They're really very well made. They're yep. very well crafted. They're very well delivered. And he is laying out a positive plan for America's future with a major emphasis on economic growth. The problem is, uh, I love Truth Social, don't get me wrong, I have a big following there, I think it's an important place to talk to the base, but you need to get beyond the base in American politics, and uh, there's no contractual or, or, or other obstacle to his returning to Twitter, I've urged him to do so, I hope he will do so soon. You know, Raj, there's no other candidate, nobody is, is selling the economic growth case like he is. I'm so proud of him. You know, and as I say, I, I've talked to him quite a bit in recent months about this. No one is selling that case the way he is, and it's going to be a big factor in the general election. I mean, corruption will be too. The barisma bribery thing is going to kill Biden. But you know what I mean? People, it's a kitchen table election, Roger Stone. Uh, people want hope. They want to see the future. Politics is never about the past. 
It is always about the future. Mm. And Donald Trump has got a big picture plan for America. Yep. Uh, just not enough people, you know, focus on it. And, of course, the mainstream media doesn't ever cover that aspect of it. Mm. Uh, they're, they're, they're too busy denigrating uh, over these various witch hunts. So uh, I could not agree with you more, Larry. All right, buddy. Thanks for doing this. Folks, Roger Stone, WABC Radio on Sundays, 3 to 4 p.m., very important radio show. And Roger's website is www.stonecoldtruth.com. Thank you, Roger. Good luck. Folks, we're going to take a quick break. On the other side, we're going to talk some economics with Michael Falkender, former Assistant Treasury Secretary. I'm Kudlow. Please stick around. Larry Kudlow on 77 WABC. Now, back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're bringing in Michael Falkender, professor of finance at the University of Maryland, former assistant secretary for economic policy at the Treasury. And uh, America First Policy Institute visiting fellow, uh, Mike, uh, welcome back. Thanks for doing this. Let me just start. Uh, what's your economic outlook now for the next year or so? What's your interest rate outlook for the next year or so? I would see the Fed keeping interest rates about where they're at for at least the next six months. I'm, I don't know why Chairman Powell is indicating two more rate hikes to come. It seems like inflation has come down. Quite a bit. Most of what I'm seeing in this in the CPI report is in the shelter space, which operates with a lag. So that seems to indicate that inflation is going to keep coming down, measured on a 12-month basis. They're not at two percent yet. Whether you look at one-month or three-month numbers and annualize them, but they're they're making good progress on it. So, and with the banking sector where it's at, I don't know why I would continue raising rates. So I, I think rates are going to stay where they're at for a while. I'm not with the, the market that we're going to see significant rate reductions second half of this year, beginning of next year. Um, you know, that retail sales number that came in yesterday, I'm still trying to figure out where that fits into the forecast, because I would have said that we were going to be having a recession latter half of this year. Hmm. But but then People keep spending in the consumer sentiment numbers that came out of Michigan yesterday were also pretty strong. So it seems like there's more resiliency than I was previously expecting. You know, because again, that retail sales numbers was up 0.3. We were expecting a drop. Um, so it seems like there's more strength in it than I would have thought until yesterday's numbers. But you know, the, the retail sales number, the basic, the base number, the core number, X autos, gasoline, and uh, building construction, which go the stuff that goes into GDP, Mike, 0. Yeah. 0.2. So it's 0. 0.2 annualized the last three months. And I was looking, so it's, you know, it's still a sloppy number. Um, the GDP tracker from Atlanta Fed has dropped now back to 1.8% for the second quarter. You may have seen that. They started out uh, a month ago or so, I think, 3%. So, you know, it it just seems like you're in this, whether or not we go into recession, you're just in this slow, subpar, kind of stagnating economy. 
We absolutely are. And, and that a lot is, I think, coming from a complete loss of productivity improvements. Yeah. So we, we're seeing increases in employment every month, but we're not seeing that correspond into much larger output resulting from it. And again, this comes back to the Biden administration seems to remove most incentives for businesses to be engaging in significant investment. They're spending way too much of their time engaged in regulatory compliance issues that actually saps productivity. And that's the recipe for stagflation. It's Mm -hmm. that okay, we've got good employment numbers, but you you get price increases because businesses are spending their time engaged in compliance. They're not spending their time improving output. So we get low growth, but we get price increases. And so that's stagflation. And so you're right, whether we get actually negative growth or it just kind of flatlines, then that's a recipe for no growth and and you more than anybody else is out there explaining to the American people the lack of growth creates a whole set of follow-on problems because we can't get anywhere near towards responsible fiscal policy if we have a lack of growth. All growth right. is necessary given the demographic challenges that we have if we are going to fulfill the promises that have been made to America's seniors. By the way, I agree with you also on the Fed. I think they should just uh, hold it where it is because inflation is coming down. I don't want him to destroy the economy. Mike, I don't have you talked to Brooke Rollins lately? Uh a little bit. Yeah. So I was talking to her uh at some length yesterday. Uh so we need you to be the point guy, kind of executive director. We're gonna set up uh a group, a steering committee, and um flesh out a future agenda for the economy, for economic growth and prosperity. You know, look at the budget, look at taxes, look at regulations, uh, look at the Fed, uh, all these things. You know, you mentioned productivity. That's so important. All the stuff that feeds into productivity, which creates growth. We'll get Laffer and uh, Hassett and myself Maybe Casey Mulligan, who's very good on regulations, I think you would agree. Uh, you, we'll talk some, you and I will talk some more about this, who, who, should, who we should get. And then uh, we'll have you and the staff at AFPI do some working papers. I think we need to do this. Just, you know, get ready. It's like a transition exercise uh, for future economic growth. Let's get it back to the long-term 3.5%. Maybe even in the next couple of years, try to beat three and a half percent. What you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and we've got to focus on a couple of things. Number one, we have got to continue having labor force growth. So anything and everything we can do to encourage people mm. to be part of the working economy. So what are the disincentives that are in place that are keeping people on the sidelines? And then, of course, the second thing that goes into growth is is that productivity piece. It's how do we get the capital investment that we need, how do we get the intellectual property development that we need, and how do we reform you know, the education system? You look at the biggest, you know, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal earlier this week about who the biggest losers were from the pandemic, and it was, it was our kids. And you know, I see it with my own kids that they, there were some things that were missed during those pandemic years. We have got to 
get that we've got to get the next generation workforce ready to take the reins because that underlying investment in intellectual growth is what facilitates productivity improvement throughout their lifetimes. Mm. So those are absolutely essential elements because labor force growth and um, improvements in productivity are the basis of economic growth without inflation. That's your GDP growth. Absolutely right. Um, Mike, have you followed this business about the OECD minimum tax increase plus uh, foreign governments will be able to uh, tax our companies overseas? I mean, I I know this started with uh, when we were in the administration. Mnuchin and I talked a lot about this, you know, and uh, Bruno Le Maire, the finance minister of France, was very keen on it. Trump himself said foreigners can't tax American companies. Only Americans can decide about taxes. I mean, I don't like the, any of this. Janet Yellen's driving this thing. I think this is very bad news. I agree with you entirely. And the idea that Janet Yellen thinks that she can bypass the United States Congress and in some way kind of put them in a corner when it actually requires Congress's consent to modify all of the tax treaties that would be required to enter into these OECD OECD agreements. And I don't understand why in the pursuit of higher corporate income taxes, they're willing to have differential treatment of American companies relative to companies that are headquartered everywhere else in the world. I mean, you, you look at how, you look at how these different countries have engaged in the negotiations. Every single one of them is protecting their home-based companies, except us. We seem to be more than willing to sacrifice the technology companies and the pharmaceutical companies who have global operations and have done so much to realize improvements in standards of living and improvements in economic growth. And yet everybody else is protecting themselves. But it's because there seems to be a mentality, both in the White House and at Treasury, that profits are something to be... Um, discouraged or to be penalized. Incredible. And if that's what it takes to do it, they're more than willing to do so. All right. Michael Falkender, thank you very, very much. We appreciate it, folks. We're going to take a break. And then after the break, we're going to do some stock market work. you got a bull market cooking in stocks. The question is, can it last? Nancy Tengler, Kenny Polcari, I'm Kudlow. Stock market next up. Please stay with us. Now, here's Larry Kudlow. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. And uh, for reset, you can get us on the Internet here. You can live stream us, LarryKudlowShow.com, LarryKudlowShow.com, runs throughout the country, around the globe, throughout the solar system, and the Milky Way. And by the by, during the week, Monday through Friday, Fox Business Network, the name of the show is Cudlow, and it plays 4 to 5 p.m. every day, Monday through Friday. If you can't come around at uh, 4 o'clock, you can just uh, text your favorite 9-year-old, and she'll teach you how to DVR the show. By the way, the show reruns at 7 p.m. if you're around for that. Anyway, enough of that. Let's talk stocks. Good week for stocks. 422 points up on the Dow, 111 on the S&P. 430 on the NASDAQ. We are in a technical bull market, 20% plus. Actually, since last October, 
probably almost a 25% gain, but not everybody agrees with all this. So let's go to our experts, Nancy Tengler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer, Live for Tengler Investments, and uh, we have Kenny Polcari, Managing Director, Case Capital Advisors, and Chief Market Strategist at Slate Stone Wealth. Welcome, kids. Appreciate it very much, as always. So um, let me start out with this uh, posted on the Fox Business uh, website. Big stock rally could be followed by big collapse. <laughs> Bank of America. All right. I love this. Um, Michael Hartnett, the chief investment strategist at Bank of America, who correctly predicted last year's sell-off, warned in a Friday analyst note the stock market could resume its downward spiral soon. We are not convinced we are at start a brand-new shiny bull market, Hartnett wrote. Still feels like more combo of 2000 or 2008, a big rally before a big collapse. There you go. Now, um, Nancy Tangler, I don't know Mr. Hartnett. What do you know about him? Well, I don't. I, well, first, Larry, thanks for having me. Good to be on with Kenny. Uh, you know, I come on the show just to hear you call me a kid. <laughs> <laughs> it makes my day. Um, I, I don't know, but here, here's what I do know, that, that the Bears are rarely in charge, and they're loath to give up uh, when they do get the stage. And so I think you have to sort of step back and say, well, I don't think this is 2000 to uh, to 2003 because we're not at peak earnings, uh, and those multiples were lunacy. I mean, you had Cisco trading at 135 times peak earnings. So you might want We can draw a parallel to NVIDIA, but we're in the early stages of this AI industrial revolution. I mean, if you just look at chip demand, um, this was Lisa Sue, the CEO of AMD, $30 billion in AI chips this year, and then the expectation is it's going to grow 50% in terms of sales uh, every year for the next four to five years. So I think we I think we have to kind of step away and say, what are the underlying fundamentals? Earnings have gone from negative. The estimates have just now moved to positive uh, mm. for the next quarter. And we're off the, the February lows in earnings by about 2.8%. The Dow's now broken out, so that kind of brings breadth which is not to say we won't get a correction uh, and we won't get another bear market at some point. I just think that, that kind, those kind of prognostications, and they were really um, rampant in October when we were adding risk back into our portfolios. The tech trade was over, if you recall, back then from many, according to many. We were buying the shares, and we're pretty darn glad we did because the NASDAQ's up over 30%. You have so you, been you, great on this. Can I just say... You have said week after week after week after week, you're adding risk to your portfolio. I mean, you have really nailed this. Wow. So I take Nancy Tangler over Michael Hardnett. I don't know Hardnett, so I can't (laughs) say. I mean, he may be a brilliant guy. I don't know anything about it. But I know, Nancy Tangler, that you're the smartest, and you nailed this. You absolutely did. Well, thank you. Thank you. But I hate when these people scare people out of the stock market because that's you've got to be in. And Kenny knows it's it's time in the market, not timing the market. And so, um, you know, you just step back and use the correction. You know, we'll get consolidation. We'll get um, some sort of a correction and you use it to 
to balance out your portfolio. Um, I heard Kenny on one of the networks talking about materials. It, it is important to be adding um, other names. We've been adding to industrials, uh, and we think yeah. that's a pretty smart thing to do when the PMIs seem to be bought, the manufacturing. I've PMIs seen Ken Volcari a lot on Fox Business. Love seeing him on Fox Business. <laughs> very, very exciting. Kenny Pocari, what do you think of this bull market? So Is listen, it a bull I, market or what? I said this. I said this yesterday to uh, to Stuart. It was like the fear of missing out, which is driving this latest rally, because it was also the fear of being in, right? Like Nancy said, it was six months ago or eight months ago when they were warning everybody, get out, get out, there's this crash coming, and Morgan Stanley warning of S&P 3000 and others you know, warning of lower S&Ps, and they scared a lot of people out of the market. People went to cash, and they went to you know treasuries and alternative investments, and they missed this whole move and now they're underinvested and they're trying to play catch up so yes it's now you've got this hysteria on the way up and to nancy's point to your point it can't, to, if you look at the chart they almost go parabolic straight up the s&p and the nasdaq and so they have to pull back there should be consolidation you would want consolidation right because it, it, it's not sustainable but it's also broadening out like to materials to industrials to uh health and that's actually a good sign because um you know, once investors start looking at those sectors, and by the way, those are all sectors that are either flat or down or just up slightly on the year. So there is opportunity there if you think that, you know, we've gone through the worst part of, of the uh, of the cycle, and now it's, you know, it's upwards from here. You've got stuff. I'm just looking at the stock tables that I get from my dear friend Conrad de Quatros. Uh, the S&P 500 retailing index is up 22% year-to-date. Yep. The home builders are up 35% year-to-date. The SOX index is up 45% year-to-date. The Dow transports up 10.5% year-to-date. So um, so it looks a little broader. It, It definitely looks a little broader. It's not just a couple of sectors, Kenny. No, right, but but look at, like, materials, right, and industrials. They were – materials were, were negative a week and a half ago on the year. Industrials were flat on the year. Now they've all turned, right, healthcare is still negative on the year, but it's up from where it was. And so uh, financials, another one, they were they were basically unchanged on the year. If you look at the XLF, now it's gone slightly positive. So there is – like you said, opportunity. And, and by the way, all those other sectors that you named that are up double digits, if there's a correction coming or a consolidation coming, you as well, you know as well as I do, and Nancy knows, that's going to be the first place people look to, you know, try to, to, to nail some money and take money out of those sectors to redeploy into those sectors that mm-hmm. now I think will offer more opportunity. That was my, that was my argument the other day, and Nancy's argument on industrials is that there's, you know, there's a place for industrials, there's a place certainly for building materials. That was up two and a quarter percent one day alone last, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday, so much money was piling into that sector. And I think that's what we're going to see. But Nancy, the yield curve is still deeply inverted. The index of leading indicators is still falling. I just worry, I mean, the inverted curve, it's a nasty little indicator. Trouble is it has a good, it has a good forecasting record. And um, I don't know about the economy. I mean, the economy is slow. The recession hasn't happened yet, but that's got to be a factor here someplace. There's a risk, isn't it? Yeah. I, I wrote, my commentary this week was entitled, Time to Replace the Fed with Chat GPT. 
I want. I learned. L- listen, I I said on the air last night, we we need a special prosecutor for the Fed. I know. I know. <laughs> Dr. Laffer wasn't going to bite on that. Um, (laughs) um, Yeah, I I think, you know, at least generative AI learns, and the Fed seems incapable of doing so. And I think they're about um, to to do in reverse what they did when they were easy for too long. I mean, I thought that press conference was incoherent uh, Mm. uh, again. Where, um, you know, Nick Kimbrough asked the right question. If you're um, going to raise rates later, and, oh, by the way, I add, and you're data dependent and haven't yet seen the data, so how do you know you're going to raise rates? Why would you pause now? And even Powell faux-pawed and said skip and then corrected himself and said, I mean, pause. So I, I just think the market is is, is not listening. Um, and I agree with you. There's a lot of there's a lot that's negative in terms of, you know, manufacturing new orders are deeply into recession territory. But that could also be the good news because when they bottom and when the manufacturing PMIs bottom, that's good for all S and P earnings and in particular industrials. Um, but we have a lot of conflicting data. And I think that may support uh, Ed Yardeni's point, which is a rolling recession. Mm. Um, I still sort of think we will get a recession. I just don't think it's going to be super meaningful. And then you had James Gorman, CEO of Morgan Stanley, coming out last week and saying, I think we're at the, bar- at the bottom of the economy. We're seeing green shoots in our business. So, I, you know, the market is a for- forward discounting mechanism, and the market sniffs this out just as it did before Volcker, um, you know, declared an end to his battle against inflation. It bottomed in August of 82, took four months only to erase all of the decline from the previous years, and then we took off for quite some time. So I'm encouraged by the technological advances. And last thing I'll say is that, you know, our theme has been old economy companies that are embracing digital and technological solutions, and then the providers of those systems and, and arms, if you will. Right, and we, we got, still think that makes sense. i got to take a quick break. Uh, Nancy Tangler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Lockford Tangler, Kenny Polcari, Managing Partner at Case Capital and Market Strategist at Slate Stone Wealth. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. This is the Larry Kudlow Show. Back to the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, <clears throat> folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're talking stocks with Nancy Tengler, CEO and Chief Investment Officer of Lafford Tengler Investments. By the way, five-star Morningstar rating. And Kenny Polcari, managing, managing Partner at Case Capital and Chief Market Strategist at Slate Stone Wealth. Uh, Ken Polcari... What's your take on commodities? What's your take on $71.78 oil? And what's your take on $1954 gold? So, uh, I will say that I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit stunned with oil. I thought oil was going to be higher than $71 at this point in the year now, especially we're coming into the summer driving season and demand is, is high. So I am a little bit surprised, although you can, you can point to the strength of the dollar prior to some of the pressure on uh, on oil, but I also you know I'm amazed that 
One day it's the China destruction. The next day it's China demand. The next day again it's China destruction. It is more uh, Russian oil on the market. So, you know, it's all very, it continues to be very fluid and confusing. I expect to see oil go higher. I expect to see the dollar come in, especially if, if uh, Jay Powell is going to pause here and they're not going to raise rates anymore. Then I suspect that the dollar will come in a little bit, which will be helpful to the commodity complex. You know, gold itself, gold is back at 1975. We started trade down to 19. 50-ish this week um, on concern that they were going to continue raising rates, raising rates, raising rates. And then on Friday, I think there's this, there's this sense that maybe that we're at the level. Maybe five, five and a quarter is the level that we're going to stay at. And Jay Powell is, in fact, um, going to pause. And I think we saw the dollar back off of it. And then you saw uh, oil pop again. You saw gold pop again. But you also saw oil pop again because then Friday there was, the, oh, wow, China's you know manufacturing's up 15% and demand is strong. And so that they keep changing that story. So I think you have to just make a decision about oil. I think it's going higher. I like oil. I also like gold. I think gold is going to go higher. So, um, and I suspect we're we're probably at the top. Do you ever look? Do you ever look at the Baltic Dry Index? It's a very old you know, indicator. It's collapsed. It's collapsed, and it it it's mostly about China. I mean, right. I think the China story is a terrible story. Uh, the free market, you know private property revolution in China is being um, stopped by this uh, yeah. President Xi Jinping, who really is a dictator. I mean, I don't think China's coming back. And I'm just saying I, I, there's a lot of indicators, a lot of numbers come out. I'm not sure I believe anything ever comes out of China. But Ed Hyman always reminds me of the Baltic Dry Index. The Baltic Dry Index is just, it's just headed south. It's just straight down. Right. Yeah, I should look at that. I don't look at it often enough. I don't. I, I will say I don't look at that index often enough. All right, Nancy Tendler, I wanted to get your take on interest rates, not the Fed rate, but the ten-year note, for example, or the the five-year is three ninety-eight, the ten-year is three seventy-six. Uh, your view? What's the direction of these market rates going to be? <laughs> well. Um, sorry. By the way, you were very mean. Know. You were very mean calling Jay Powell incoherent. I didn't want to let that go. <laughs> very mean. Very tough. I just, Not that I you're mean. wrong. Not that you're wrong. <laughs> I don't even watch it anymore. I can't stand it. It's just so awful. But well, sorry. and I mean, I did at the end of my piece. I asked Chat GPT if he was the worst Federal Reserve Chairman <laughs> in history, and it came back very diplomatically. You know, it's difficult to say, but there are many <laughs> critics. So <laughs> I like, I like chat GPT. So I think the market, uh, the, the yield curve is being distorted somewhat um, by the Fed's actions and by um, the Treasury's actions. So we're staying very, very short. Um, we're building ladders. We haven't had our clients in bonds since August of 2020 when the mm. Treasury got to, I think, a half 50 basis point yield of the 10 year. Um, so I, I, I'm not, you know, this is not my expertise in terms of, um, you know, the bond market and convexity, but we, we overall are, are just focused on keeping our, our exposure short because there's, there's just so much distortion and it's so severely inverted. Um, and I think, it, you know, until we get a, a Fed that is just done talking, by the way, first day, um, but they were out of the quiet period. You know, they all started in again. And um, you know, I long for the, the Chairman Greenspan days when, you know, we used to 
look at his size of his briefcase and try to figure out what was going to happen at the next meeting. Now, you know, they're telegraphing it ridiculously. So I, I think you want to be short in your exposure to bonds. Um, and I, I think you wait until uh, things or barbell it with high yield, but you wait until things kind of settle out. They're going to you know, issue $380 billion, as you know, Larry, mm-hmm. in treasuries and um, for, to, to resupply yeah. the, the treasuries checking account. I was just thinking, though, you know, when Greenspan would hold, when Greenspan would speak before Congress, oftentimes you could learn stuff. He was a very smart guy and a very good business economist. You know, you listen to him mm-hmm. talk about the economy, you could learn stuff, okay? When Jay Powell speaks, you have to unlearn almost You don't know what he's telling you. I mean, it's just so completely different nowadays. It's, I, uh, I don't it's think a, he knows. I mean, I think he... he He's reading. Yeah, he doesn't. I know the guy, you know, I had lunch with him every other week for three years. He's a very nice guy, by the way. He was a pretty good banker once upon a time. But um, it's a a tough one to have him on there. Anyway, uh, Ken Polcari, are you going to buy or sell the market? I am going to continue to buy the market in those sectors that we identified, the ones that are underperforming that money is going to move into. I'm certainly not chasing tech up here, if anything, and I and I debate back and forth whether I should even be taking uh, money off the table in some names. Names like NVIDIA, you know, it's almost screaming at you, please take some money, but yet on the other hand, it goes higher every day, right? You know, my great um, but, my great, my great pal, Jim Cramer, named his dog yes. NVIDIA years ago. Yeah. Did you know that? <laughs> But I would put new money into the sectors like Nancy and I identified, basic materials, industrials, healthcare is where uh, even the SMIDs, right, the small and mid-cap names, which are also lifting their head and starting to perform. If you look at the IJJ or the IJT, um, those have also now went from negative late last week till they're, they're up six and six and a half, I think, percent as of yesterday. Um, and so they're starting to, they're starting to find some love. So those are the sectors where I would put more money. But uh, listen, I would also be conscious as we move into the summer that on a pullback, pullbacks can be quick and violent. You and yes. I both know, Nancy knows yes. that as well. So All being right. conscious of jump. the potential pullback. All right, kids. So you're going to buy them until you sell them. I got it. Nancy Tangler <laughs> and Kenny Polcari, the best of the best. Folks, take a quick break. Then we're going to do some money in politics. We've got Liz Peek and Steve Moore. I'm Kudlow. We'll be right back. From Wall Street to the White House, this is The Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. I'm Larry Kudlow. We're going to do some money in politics. We've got Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and somewhere out there is Steve Moore. We're still looking for him. It's hard to know where he might be, but I can talk to my pal Liz Peek. Liz Peek, uh, the Hill column, Liz Peek, could Trump defy the odds again, question mark. Poll out uh, late last night. Trump leads Biden by six points. That's the Harvard-Harris uh, poll. Mark Penn, who's a very good pollster. And um, I think Real Clear Politics has Trump ahead of Biden. It's very interesting, Liz. I mean, you got Biden wants to throw Trump in jail before the election. 
Meanwhile, Biden may be in jail before the election because of the Burisma <laughs> bribery. We could have a debate where they're both wearing ankle bracelets. I mean, who knows? <laughs> Just think of it. But um, it is it is interesting, though, after the uh, after the indictment and, and so forth, all these charges, it really doesn't seem to have affected Trump's numbers at all. Well, I, I argue I would argue, Larry, that it actually has enhanced uh, Donald Trump's uh, standing because people are so angry about the indictment. And I, I think, honestly, whether you love him or hate him. It's such an obvious double standard. We've talked about the double standard of justice for over a year now, but I can't imagine a more egregious example of a, uh, a sitting president indicting his most likely rival uh, for a, <laughs> on charges that basically he may also face. I mean, there's a special yeah. prosecutor, let's not forget, looking into Biden's documents problem yeah. and the more you think about it, I mean, Biden left office evidently with documents not only from his vice president uh, term, but also from his Senate days. And, Larry, none of those secret top secret or classified documents from the Senate are even allowed out of the Senate. They're not mm-hmm. in any way meant to end up in someone's garage or their pen center office or whatever. So. I think people are furious about this. And I was actually thinking this morning, I hope people don't get unfurious because it's summertime and everybody wants to kind of, you know, have a good time and sort of tune out. Well, you know what? You can't tune out because this is really bad what's going on. Uh, and I, I really do think, look, there are a lot of reasons why Trump may be ahead of Biden in the polls right now. Most importantly, because Biden has been a terrible president. He's been divisive. He constantly demeans everybody uh, on the Republican Party, and he has overseen a horrible economy. He's adding to our deficits with every breath he takes. There are a lot of reasons to think that the Trump days look pretty good in the rearview mirror. But I do think this injustice situation, you know, is, is kind of a capper. Yeah, I think people are very furious at Washington right now. Yeah. And that's that's a Biden thing because he's running Washington. Um did you hear the thing where he, he gave this speech up, up here in Connecticut about gun control and he ends the speech, God save the queen? I did. What was I, that? Honestly, what, what was that? that? <laughs> and, and the White House really couldn't even manufacture a response. It was sort of like, well, he was responding to someone in the crowd. What, an invisible person in the crowd? <laughs> Nobody else saw anybody in the crowd that, what? you know, was waving a British flag or something. I mean, I don't know. Did you see anything like that? I did not. And, and as far as I know, it was one of those tripping the light, fantastic kind of moments for Joe Biden where literally no one has any idea what he's talking about. Steve Forbes thought it was because he knew that Connecticut was one of the original colonies. Oh, please. (laughs) You know, sure. Uh And, uh, yeah, that makes sense. I'm surprised he didn't talk talk about Mystic. I mean, come on. No, if he knew he was in Connecticut, that's a win for uh, Joe Biden. And uh, tracing its historic roots, no, I don't think so. What, um, I mean, one of the things here, though, this, you know, this could be a red state election. I was talking about Adam Smith's birthday, the father of uh, free market capitalism, uh, which was yesterday, although we don't actually know. He was baptized 300 years ago yesterday, but we don't actually know his birthday, but we're calling it his birthday. 
But this could be a red state election. This could be an election, you know, red states are cutting taxes, red states are going to school choice. It's not going to be a, a state socialism election. I don't know if you uh, if you saw uh, the Wall Street Journal column um, about uh, corporate uh, corporate uh, capitalism by uh, Dan Henninger. I mean, people are rejecting all of these statist interferences by the Biden administration, and you see it in these red states, and that may be an important election wave. That's what I'm suggesting. Yeah, well, I think it is kind of interesting. And, you know, in my column, I talk about Brexit and Mm -hmm. how just it was sort of a revolt against everything, against the institutions, against the elites, against the faculty lounges and Hollywood, etc. Everybody's telling everyone that we have to uh, sacrifice our lifestyle on the altar of climate change, that it's perfectly okay to think that you're a man if you're a woman and, and, you know, argue about pronouns, that that's really become a huge national focus. I think people are so fed up with all this stuff that, that you could really, you could really have a response. And we are seeing it in the red states. We are seeing some pushback, uh, against ESG and particularly in the red states where state treasurers are saying, well, wait a minute. No, if you're, abiding by principles that we really disagree with and it's costing me uh, returns, costing me money, my pension fund's not doing so well, I'm not going to give any more money to you. Larry, it all comes down to money. And if the, if the people driving this progressive bus begin to see, as Target has, as Anheuser-Busch has, etc., that some of this stuff is going to cost them money, then my guess is we're going to start to see a change. And I hope it starts in the corporate world because I am really over thinking that corporations are really on the side of America. And I think a lot of Americans are feeling the same way. Let's see you side with the majority. Let's see you side with people who have jobs in this country and not, and stop. Like, for example, I was uh, reading about the fact that um, I think uh, Intel is going to be building a new semiconductor plant in Poland. I think mm-hmm. it's Poland mm-hmm. because they're, offering big incentives. Well, okay, remember, we're offering billions of dollars to the semiconductor industry, which I think is a joke, but anyway, to build plants in the United States. These semiconductor companies are basically playing Europe off against the U.S., against Asian countries. They want the best deal possible. Okay, I totally get that, but does anybody care that we are the biggest market for these products, that maybe we don't actually have to spend an enormous amount of money to get them building plants in a safe, English-speaking, productive nation. Mm. I mean, honestly, corporate America is kind of playing fast and loose with the trust of Americans, and I I think it's a mistake. Well, that is a perfect lead-in. We did find Steve Moore in the (laughs) ether zone. Um, (laughs) Steve Moore, your uh, thing in the prosperity hotline, are Republicans and big biz getting a divorce which is kind of what Liz was getting at. Right. The, the numbers suggest that the GOP is not going to be dominated by these big companies. Yeah, and by the way, uh, I was just listening to what Liz was just saying. And, you know, I mean, Liz, this is just our taxpayer dollars at work, right? We we gave yeah. the seven conductor billions of dollars, and then they built plants to Poland. Yeah. <laughs> that makes a lot of sense. Um, 
So, uh, look, I, I totally agree with you that we have reached uh, peak woke, and people are extraordinarily upset. $28 billion of losses of these companies. I mean, by the way, what's with Kohl's? They're putting, you know, gay, for, gay pride, uh, you know, uh, flags on, mm. on toddler T-shirts. Mm. <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, so outrageous, so out of touch with America. Now, in How about the Los the- Angeles Dodgers? Oh, it's about, outrageous. I'm Catholic. Larry, you're Catholic. You know, the, this is just, where, where else could you get away with such bigotry, you know, except, you know, when you're, uh, when you're attacking religious institutions? You're exactly right about that. I, I, I would not wear Dodger blue again until mm-hmm. they, you know, reverse their, their policy. Now, Republicans are in a quandary right now because what's happened, in my opinion, is because we have now a six trillion dollar federal budget, and the and the Biden administration is just passing money out to corporations like it's candy, whether it's the solar industry or the electric battery industry or uh, the semiconductor industry. Basically, what you've got now is big business is an advocate right now for big government, mm. and I don't think that's where Republicans need to be. They should be the Republicans should be the party of limited government and the party of small business, Larry. That's where the jobs come from. Mm-hmm. I couldn't. Agree, I couldn't agree more. And I think the wokeness of big business is something Republicans have to um, have to fight. I don't think they necessarily have to go after the business, but they have to make it clear they're not going to help them. Right. I mean, how does this affect? Can you rate? You can rate. I mean, or let me ask this as a question: Can the GOP and let's take that in the House particularly raise enough money? without getting any help from these corporate PACs? Well, that's that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that, because when you're passing out, when the, when the taxpayers are giving billions and billions of dollars to these corporations, and then the corporations are then turning around and using some of that money to dish it back out to the... To the, uh, to the politicians who give them the money in the first place, that's an incredibly corrupt system. And that's why I'd like to see, you know, the Republican candidate for president, whoever that might be, really go after the whole idea of, of corporate welfare. Yeah. It, is, it is so out of control right now, and virtually every Fortune 500 company right now is on the dole. You know, that's um, interesting, Liz. Um, I don't know if you saw Kim Strassel's column yesterday. She makes a point that the Trump indictment, which is infuriating, is really causing a good thing to happen, and that is Republican candidates for president are now looking at ways to clean out the stables mm-hmm. in the Washington swamp. Yeah. Um, in a lot of ways, I mean, investigating, we got to go after the FBI, we got to go after the CIA. And another one here is going after the idea of permanent civil servants. Like the federal bureaucracy is just chock full of thousands and thousands of so-called permanent civil servants, and they are all moving to the left, and they are all subverting American traditional values. And uh, a lot of the candidates are finally talking about this. Yeah, and it's very hard because, of course, uh, most of the civil servants in the federal bureaucracy are covered by basically union rules. Uh, they mm-hmm. belong to unions, and you, it's very hard to fire them. One of the things that happened under Obama is he uh, reclassified a lot of jobs right. so that they became permanent bureaucracy instead of 
political appointees because he understood very well the power is in these agencies. And if you continue to stock the leadership of those agencies with unmovable, unfireable people who are to the left, which is what Obama did, then you really have gained traction in Washington. And I think President Trump, when he took office, really had no idea of the depth of this and the solidity of it. Uh, It's very, very hard to get rid of any of those people. Um, But, you know, Larry, I remember someone talking to me about the, the State Department. And remember when when Tillerson took over running the State Department, there was a big amount of anxiety that he wasn't hiring people fast enough. There are 60,000 people working in the State Department. (laughs) It's not exactly bereft of manpower. But the problem is it is a, a force unto itself. It is extremely hard to impact even policy in, a, in an agency that big and that powerful because of just what you're talking about. So good for Republicans. I think they need to, I think, frankly, I think they need to do something because I see on Twitter an awful lot of Republican voters saying, hey, we have the House, do something, do something about the border, do something about the FBI. It's hard because it's limited, but when they, and, and you can be sure if they go after something like the FBI budget, the Democrats will turn that around in the next election and say, we thought you were the law and order party. Here they are defunding the FBI. You know, right. so they'll hang on. But, I got to take got to do something. I got to take a break. I want to hear Steve on this point, because Vivek Ramaswamy's got some interesting points on this. Anyway, we're, we're going to take a break. I'm Kudlow. Be right back. Larry Kudlow on 77 WABC. From Wall Street to the White House, this is the Larry Kudlow Show. Welcome back, folks. We're talking money and politics with Liz Peek, Fox News contributor, syndicated columnist, and Steve Moore of Freedom Works and Committee to Unleash Prosperity Hotline, and Steve's uh, great radio show, More Money follows this show on WABC Radio. Steve Moore, you know, um, Trump tried to go after the federal bureaucracy, but ran out of time. But now he's talking about it again. DeSantis is talking about it. Vivek Ramaswamy is talking about it. It's very interesting. Vivek thinks it's unconstitutional. But that is one of the biggest problems. I mean, I can tell you, uh, having worked in the government how difficult yep. it can be, and, and it is a good, important target. You better believe it. And I always say, you know, it's amazing what Donald J. Trump was able to accomplish, and you played a big role in that, Larry. It's incredible what he was able to get done, given the fact that 90% of the people working in the government were absolutely against and conspiring against what he was trying to do. And mm-hmm. so the deep state, to summarize what Liz was saying earlier, the deep state is not a pigment of our imagination. It is real. Mm. And here's a really interesting uh, statistic. If you were to just do uh, a kind of poll of people and you were trying to figure out, well, are they a Democrat or a Republican? The number, you know what the number one determining factor is? It's not race. It's not gender. It's not sexual preference. It's not area of the country you lived in. It's not your income. You know what the number one factor is that determines whether someone is a Democratic voter? Mm. Whether they work for the government. Oh, 90% of government employees are Democrats. Right. And so you have a system that is completely geared against any Republican initiatives. Now, 
you are absolutely right. People forget about this, but Donald Trump had an excellent yeah. civil service uh reform plan, which was basically saying we're going to get rid of tenure because nobody has tenure except for government employees and, mm-hmm. and university professors. And we're going to give people, uh, you know, increases in their salary based on their performance. Mm-hmm. Gee, what a concept. You right. know, the better you perform, the more money you're going to make. And do you remember the reaction of the Washington Post and the New York Times and the entire Washington establishment? Washington Post had a major editorial saying, oh, my God, Donald Trump is trying to politicize the civil service system. This is the most politicized system in the world already. So this has to be a high priority of the Republicans. You can't run a government when 90 percent of the people are against you and you're trying to reform the system. Well, that sort of leads, though, to the other point in the hotline. The left's takeover of the Democratic Party is complete. Uh, Unbelievable. And what you've got here, it's interesting, uh, total very liberal Democrats, uh, 19% back in 2012, all the way up to 29% as of last year. And uh, the second one, uh, self-described Democrats, total liberal Democrats, 43% up to 55%, 12-point gain uh, in 10 years. I mean, the Democrats are the... Very far-left liberal party. The they very far-left liberal party. And that's yeah, not going to change. It doesn't matter who remember, their candidate is. That's right. And remember, it wasn't long. And remember in the 80s when Reagan, you know, took over with two landslide elections, Democrats ran away from the term liberal. Remember, we're not liberals. You know, right. now they hold it up as a, as a kind of badge of honor of how left they can become. And I think that's a very disturbing trend uh, for the country. But it, it is a party that was taken over by the left-wing uh, radicals, and George Soros' money had a big part in that. And, Liz, it, it almost, all right, it doesn't matter. You were the one, you said this on this show, the pact between Biden and Bernie Sanders. And you know what? We went back and I found it. And it was during the campaign, they had a working group, uh, and yes, they brought in all the Bernie Sanders people, and so they arranged to meet, and they met on Bernie Sanders' turf. That's what happened. So Joe Biden trying to run as a moderate, the reality was the policy platform, Liz, was essentially a Bernie Sanders-oriented policy Hello? platform. I found Hello? the document. You, you still there, Liz? Hello, hello, hello. Anyway, Sounds like we might have lost her. We may have lost her. We'll get her back. But, Steve. I can hear you, yeah. I have, I'm not hearing anything else. Uh, well, I can hear you. I got you. All right, we'll move on. Steve, I mean, it doesn't matter who wins. I mean, you saw, you may have seen Gavin Newsom yeah. talking to Sean Hannity yeah. the other night. Yeah, yeah It did. doesn't matter whether it's Biden or whoever. The Democrats are the left-wing party. That's just it. And my, that is absolutely. And, yeah. and I, no, I, my, I, I my question to Liz earlier before you, uh, you came on, this could be a red state election, that the red states are cutting taxes and they're going for school choice and they're pro-business. This could be a red state election. Oh, I don't think there's any question that you're seeing all the big reforms. And I liked what the Wall Street Journal had yesterday. I mean, yeah, let's have – I'd love to see a debate with Sean Hannity – uh, hosting it between Gavin Newsom on the California model mm-hmm. and Ron DeSantis on the Florida model. Let's have yes. it out. Yes. 
So what do you make of Trump? We, we talked earlier before you came on. Yeah. Trump's numbers, if anything, have grown since the indictment. Yeah, because he's persecuted. He's being persecuted, and, and you're getting a rally around. Well, even even people who are part of our Committee to Unleash Prosperity, who were kind of never Trumpers, are now saying, hey, we're not going to let the left get away for, with this. Right. These are the who, who pursued the two-year, uh, you know, more rush up. More money. Steve Moore's More Money. WABC Radio follows this show. I'm Kudlow. We'll be back next weekend. Thanks, folks.